0: I thank God for all who have led us so beautifully in worship today. We are continuing a sermon series called Harbingers of the Cross. We're looking at major moments toward the end of Jesus's earthly life that point toward his death on the cross. And today I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 21. I'll read verses 12 through 17 from the New Revised Standard Version. The title of the sermon is, Turning the Tables. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. When I was six or seven years old, there was a boy who lived down the street from me. I was a bit intimidated by him because he was older than me, he was bigger than me, and he and his family were hunters, bear hunters. One day this kid and I were playing with our GI Joe action figures in my front yard. He had brought some of his GI Joe men and I had brought some of mine and we played together there for quite a while. At one point I could not locate Sergeant Slaughter. This troubled me because Sergeant Slaughter was my favorite G.I. Joe man and he was mine. So I asked the other boy, do you know where Sergeant Slaughter is? He said no, but he had a real suspicious look on his face. A moment later, he stood up and walked back down the street to his house. Well. I came inside and told mom and dad what had happened. They knew that some of my other toys had gone missing on previous occasions when I had played with this particular kid. And I could tell that my dad was upset. He was calm and composed, he was quiet, but I could tell he was mad that this bigger, older kid was stealing my toys. Mom and Dad and I discussed the situation for a bit, and finally my dad stood up and said, I'm going down there. Mom's jaw dropped. (laughs) Mine did too. (laughs) You see, my dad has a humble, peaceable, jovial personality, and this was unlike him. He is not a confrontational man, but he is a principled man who loves his family. When he marched out the front door, I could hardly believe he was going to face the bear hunters. (laughs) He went to the kid's house and spoke with his family. And although he did not get Sergeant Slaughter back because the kid denied stealing him, that kid never stole anything from me again. Looking back, I can see that that was the day I learned Righteous indignation energizes moral action that brings about social transformation. Anger is not something we normally aspire to, but it's not always misplaced either. Even Jesus was known to get angry on occasion. Perhaps the most dramatic instance of Jesus' righteous indignation unfolded the Monday before He died when He famously stormed into the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Now, it's important to investigate this event carefully because it is sometimes cited in an attempt to justify anger in general. At one church I previously served years and years ago, there was one deacon who was known for his temper. Sometimes during a meeting, he would just explode and slam his fist on the table and shout. After one of these incidents, he said to me in the hallway, you know, Jesus got angry too. He turned over the tables at the temple. I was thinking, yes, but why did he turn over the table?" Why was Jesus so angry? A while back, I was at a Bible study where the group was discussing Jesus' teaching to love your enemies. We had hardly gotten started on the conversation when one man said, yeah, but you know, he also turned over the tables. I was thinking, yes, but why did he turn over the tables? Why was Jesus so angry many assume Jesus was incensed because merchants were selling things in God's house but the reasons were more complex than that yes he ran off those who were buying and selling sacrifices yes he turned over the tables of the money changers yes he shouted it is written My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. However, it's important to understand that the sacrifices being sold at the temple were necessary for worship there. Moreover, money bearing secular images had to be exchanged for the proper coins so that the temple tax could be paid. The problem, therefore, was not that there were merchants and money changers at the temple. Rather, the problem appears to have been that the merchants and money changers were inflating their profits by charging exorbitant prices. It's not hard to see how this could have happened. Visitors to the temple had to have animals to sacrifice in worship, and they had to be unblemished animals according to Old Testament law. Worshippers from miles away who came to Jerusalem on foot or who traveled to the holy city on an animal could not possibly bring a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, with them that far. They had to buy it when they got there. Pretty much everybody had to. The demand for sacrifices, therefore, would have been quite high at the temple and so vendors would have been able to raise prices without losing customers you know that's what happens at the theater when an order of popcorn costs $12 yeah that's what happens at the ball game when a hot dog and a drink set you back 15 bucks That's what happens at the concert when a little pack of candy is $4.50 and you have seen that exact same pack of candy elsewhere in town for a dollar. But at the temple, both rich and poor came to sacrifice, not just those who could afford tickets to a game or a show. If we consider that vendors were expanding their profits at the expense of impoverished people Peasants who had come to worship God. Then we can see why Jesus was so irate. Notice how specific verse 13 is. When it reports that Jesus overturned the seats of those who were selling doves. According to the Old Testament law in Leviticus 14, doves were the sacrifice that low-income people made because they could not afford lambs. Since Jesus calls the merchants robbers, we can infer that some of them were ripping off low-income folks who had come to buy doves to sacrifice. It's one thing to charge high prices for optional snacks at a show, or optional drinks at a ball game, it's quite another to charge low-income people exorbitant prices to worship God. Such price gouging at the expense of poverty-stricken persons would have enraged Jesus on moral grounds and on theological grounds. Yet he also may have had a personal interest in sticking up for those who were buying doves. According to Luke two twenty-four, when Jesus was eight days old, Mary and Joseph took him to the same temple to dedicate him to the Lord and there they offered two doves as a sacrifice. This is an indication that Jesus grew up in a low-income family he probably would have qualified for free or reduced price lunch at school he may have had to endure mockery from classmates due to his hand-me-down clothes and his off-brand shoes since jesus grew up in a family that bought doves to sacrifice rather than lambs when he saw the temple merchants ripping off those who were buying doves Perhaps he saw his own parents in the faces of the exploited. In Jesus' eyes, the money-hungry temple vendors were ripping off his family. He saw the long line of folks waiting to buy doves as his kinfolk. How would it change our perspective if we saw in the faces of the poor the faces of our parents? How would it change our perspective if we saw in the faces of hungry kids the faces of our own kids? How would it change our perspective if we saw the exploited as our kindred, if we saw the destitute as our relatives, if we saw the oppressed as our family? This perspective might enable us to better follow the Savior who for moral, theological, and familial reasons simply would not abide the abuse of the underprivileged. Not only does Jesus overturn tables on behalf of low-income folks, he also welcomes the marginalized. Verse 14 reports that the blind and the lame came to him, and he cured them. This is especially noteworthy because Leviticus 21 says, No one who has a blemish shall draw near one who is blind or lame. 2 Samuel 5 adds, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house of the Lord. Although in Jesus' time, Israel did not bar the blind and the lame from the outer temple. Precincts. some religionists still considered the blind and the lame to be blemished individuals that should not approach God too closely. In contrast, Christ welcomes the blind and the lame with inclusive and empowering love. He treats them with dignity and offers them some amazing medical care. With Jesus on the scene, persons with various disabilities are not blemished, but blessed. They are not marginalized, but welcome front and center. I suppose one of the scribes could have said, Hey, the Bible says the blind and the lame are not welcome in God's house. The Bible says the blind and the lame should not approach God to offer sacrifices. I imagine Jesus might have responded, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I don't answer to the scriptures. They answer to me. The blind and the lame are blessed. And the outcasts are all welcome. And those who have been relegated to the fringes of society are central in God's house. Notice how Jesus de-centers insiders, such as merchants, money changers, and religious leaders while bringing outsiders to the front and center. Pious adults might have snubbed Jesus for welcoming the blind and the lame in God's holy temple, but the kids in the area evidently thought it was pretty awesome because they started shouting praise. Did you catch that in verse 15? Children were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Children were another disadvantaged demographic in ancient Greco-Roman society. According to classical scholar Elise Garrison, children's marginality in society is highlighted by a lack of legal rights, infanticide, neglect, and abuse. Although often beloved by their parents, kids were basically viewed as non-entities in the eyes of society at large. Legally speaking, they were non-persons. They were invisibles. They were nobodies. Still, their loud praises to Jesus got under the skin of the sophisticated scribes, especially since the kids were declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of David. The kids also infuriated the chief priests. Their fury foreshadows the cross since the chief priests would later play a crucial role in Jesus getting executed. Historically and Biblically, the temple incident is one of the main reasons why Jesus ended up crucified. Who does he think he is? Subverting pietistic activity in God's house. Overturning sacred sanctuary furniture. And scattering the merchants that make the system at the temple function. He must think he's the one in charge of it all. He must think... He's God's authorized representative. He must think he's the one who determines how God is to be worshipped and how people are to be treated. Jesus is boldly disrupting religion gone bad. And the only people applauding are the kids. The children often have prophetic voices Because they can see right through injustices that grown-ups have gradually grown to accept. In this account, scribes and priests oppose the Son of God. But kindergartners and first graders praise His name. Pastors and Bible scholars defy the Son of God. But third and fourth graders declare His glory. Out of the mouths of babes, says Jesus. I bet he says it with a smile, too, because he loved kids even more than kids loved him. When the disciples tried to keep the little tots away from him, you remember he said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Evidently, Jesus had had a train of kids following him, ever since he rode into town on a donkey the day before and just as they cheered his humble entry into the holy city they were now cheering his subversive activity in the holy temple the kids were among the first to celebrate that something new was happening in their midst in this remarkable scene The low-income worshipers, the persons with disabilities, and the rambunctious band of kids represent a who's who of the most vulnerable people in first century society. They are Jesus' biggest fans, and he is their greatest advocate. They are Jesus' biggest supporters, and he is their greatest champion. They are Jesus' biggest backers. And he is their greatest hero. (laughs) He seeks justice for them because they are precious to God. He stands up for them despite the inexorable backlash because to mistreat these people is to mistreat his family. As followers of Christ, we might ask, are we practicing righteous anger? As Christ did? Does what made him angry enough to take action make us angry enough to take action? We get angry when there's heavy traffic that slows us down on the roadway. We get angry when a ref makes a bad call that hurts our team's cause. We get angry when people say something that offends our political sensibilities we get angry when the internet goes down we get angry when the waiter takes too long with the food we get angry when the weather ruins our beautiful weekend plans but when honestly was the last time that injustice against low-income people infuriated us when was the last time that mistreatment of the economically disadvantaged made us mad. If Jesus is our example, we're not to march around angry all the time, but we are not to live a totally anger-free life either. Jesus shows us that we can get angry without sinning, and even more, that we cannot be fully righteous without getting angry on occasion. Christ is such a good Savior that he can even redirect and redeem our anger so that we're not practicing petty fury or empty animosity, but rather we reflect the righteous indignation that reflects the character of Christ himself. Indeed, Jesus shows us at the temple What my dad showed me years ago when I was a little boy. Righteous indignation can energize moral action that leads to social transformation. Amen.